check the mic and make sure it sound right, boys. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Jeremy Shear. The podcast is brought to you by Conversa, a digital content agency that helps you create a month's worth of content in just 60 minutes. So once upon a time, back in the olden days, sales really held the keys to B2B growth. If buyers wanted to learn about a product or service, they pretty much had to talk to a salesperson and hope they got a good one. Now, more recently, of course, as we all know, since the rise of the internet and social media, marketing kind of grabbed those keys and ushered in the age of content marketing, where we're all cranking out an endless stream of blog posts and white papers and eBooks and videos and on and on to engage the large percentage of buyers who are online doing research before they ever want to talk to a salesperson. But now, more recently, over the past few years, let's say, especially in the world of SaaS, but not exclusively, a new contender has emerged, product-led growth. So what is product-led growth exactly? How does it work? And what roles do B2B marketers play in it? My guest today is Steve Lachance, founder of Discerner, a company that helps companies with product market fit for product-led growth. And Steve is author of the book, Marketing for Product-Led Growth, Become a Company Leader Through Credibility and Empathy. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So, of course, you're the perfect person to uh, ask the first question, was, which is simply, what exactly is product-led growth for those who are not so familiar with the term. I would say you, you keyed it up or teed it up really nicely by describing the history of the growth models that companies have used in the past. For a long time, sales dominated that. You might even need to just wait for your rep to literally walk in the door and pitch you something or stop by on a monthly visit or whatever. And then marketing really took the reins with uh, marketing-led growth and content. Now, product-led growth then, as you're guessing, is the sort of next and expected evolution of company growth models. And I would define product-led growth as really more of an outcome that results from accomplishing sort of six key legs in a journey. Now, each of those legs has a different duration and a certain, certainly a different level of difficulty, but by reaching each checkpoint in those kind of six legs of the journey, your company and your career, honestly, are, are better off having just made it the first, the second, the third, or the fifth thing down the track. So even if the firm itself or your product or service for that matter, doesn't make it all the way to official PLG status, whatever that means, there is no badge they hand out for that. You're going to be better off having at least taken the efforts towards walking down the PLG trail, so to speak. Okay, very good. And we're going to dig into that in the course of our discussion. But first, I just want to clarify that in some research that I've done a little bit on product-led growth, it, it, it's mostly contextualized within the world of SaaS, mm -hmm. which kind of makes sense. You know, we've all signed up for dozens and dozens of platforms where essentially you're doing the free version and you kind of check it out. And, you know, I kind of get it. Like you might make a decision to purchase depending on your experience with that product, right? Mm -hmm. But it is, in my understanding, product-led growth is not limited only to SaaS. I mean, how applicable is this, is this type of marketing to other industries? Certainly. So uh, actually, let me briefly run those six levels. And I think listeners yeah, sure. will very quickly, regardless of their industry, start to realize how these things are applicable in their daily life. And then some couple examples, I promise to be concise with my answer there. 
But the first one is, you know, surprise, surprise. Think of this like building a pyramid. You need to get the lower levels done before you can put the capstone at the top. And product-led growth, as we've all come to learn from about it over the years, certainly recent years, SaaS-oriented, hyper-growth. You don't need to do anything but build the perfect product and everybody just shows up and loves it, which is not true. You need to start at the bottom and, and work your way through it, which is lowest level product market fit. Also, probably the longest and hardest <laughs> of all the elements when it comes to selling a product or bringing it to market. That is an element of the pyramid I define as solving a real problem for a growing audience. So there's more people tomorrow with that problem than there are today by addressing articulated needs as opposed to unknown or unarticulated needs. If your product or service does solve unarticulated needs. Sales are your best friends. You get the demo conversation set up or whatever it might be. And then you can speak to that individual about problems they might be experiencing, but not know. And then of course, doing it better than the competition. All of that is very easy to say. It's very difficult to measure. That's where marketing comes into play. That's a, just a bunch of market and customer discovery research right there. But it, it speaks to the first four P's of marketing. What product are we going to build? Who are we building it for? What price are we going to put on it? How should we uh, promote and let the world know it exists? And how do we place ourselves against the rest of uh, our competitive market? So if you've got PMF, you're about 95% ahead, ahead of every other company that's ever existed and ever will exist. So congratulations on that. After that, for product-led growth to fit, you need an abundance of potential users. Think millions of potential users. You get that by solving problems for people closer to the individual contributor level or in the B2C world, just your average everyday user of any product so that there's millions of them. If your product or service solves something for CTOs at the Fortune 500, you've only got 500 potential buyers. This is not a product-led growth story, but that's okay. After that, because there's millions of users, you want to be able to put forth a product or service that has a bottom up or at least a lateral adoption strategy. People who are listening about things in like retail or maybe they're the services industry, they're starting to pick up on how this could really be helpful for them right now. After that is a series of very obvious or conspicuous value experiences. So you can't just solve a problem once or once a month for somebody, but really you're solving that problem in an ongoing way, daily, ideally. And then the fifth level is where most people think PLG starts, which is self-service. Self-service being a free trial and a sign-up button and clear pricing and an obvious value proposition. And that's actually almost at the end, right? The last element of it, though, is components that allow a product to go viral is the favorite word. But really what it means is how have you made your product or service how have you built it in such a way that those who are loving it can tell their boss about it, can tell their peers about it, can tell their friends and neighbors about it in a safe, social proof, secure way so that 100 users over the time, over pick a time frame can turn into 101, 110, 115 users. Ultimately, so you've got a product driving growth instead of just marketing. Now, when I say just marketing, each of those things I mentioned in there, if you're in marketing, you can probably think of a way to inject either your research skills or your copy and messaging skills, or certainly your capacity to present product, that sort of thing. But let me pause before I jump into like actual industry stuff, but see if there's any, if I misspoke anywhere in there, you think? 
No, I I don't think so. You're you're the expert on this, <laughs> not me. So <laughs> um, challenge every expert it, you ever meet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And so again, like in my mind, I can totally kind of picture everything you're saying. And SaaS definitely comes to mind, mm -hmm. right? What are just a few quick examples outside of SaaS where like the kind of product that would lend itself to this? Sure. Yeah. So the big one that comes to mind and an analogy that I typically fall back on whenever I'm in a conversation with a, a friend about this is think like consumer packaged goods. Think about the last trip to Costco or the grocery store or whatever it was. You're already having an experience in that room. And then you see this little island of activity from afar and somebody's handing out free samples and you stop and you have a free sample. And so you're doing quite a bit of learning on your own. You might have gone to that store looking for some other variant of pizza rolls or something like that. But then someone offers thing before I decide to purchase it and bring it home. Well, there were dressing rooms. The COVID area actually made it possible for people to do that same experience of shopping, trying, deciding they love a piece of clothing before they choose to pay for it and giving you the option of sending it back. And then probably the not last one, but certainly the one for this monologue I'm in the middle of would be services, believe it or not. I mean, software as a service couldn't exist until as a service was a thing, right? So Consider the amount of free everything that content that solves problems for people on a daily basis, Just people giving away templates, producing a free podcast so that listeners can learn free content on YouTube, whatever that might be. Once you ungate that, once you turn it into something that can be consumed without even asking for an email to join, now you've really crossed over into the early stages of PLG. The next step after that is, of course, self-service. Back at retail, we go to self-checkout. I don't have to talk to any sales reps at all. You should try it for free uh, with zero pressure whatsoever. You then accept it. You get a nice cordial, hello, how are you doing? They politely point you in the right direction. You're now aware of the pricing. Everything we just described about self-discovery and solving a problem that you have, comparing it against a competitor, all of that is done for you on the package in the freezer. Mm. But bringing it out of the freezer, preparing it for someone and having them try it right there just trumps all the work you could have possibly done to convince someone to pull a box of pizza rolls out of the freezer. And if you're a new logo in that market and you want to beat an incumbent, one of the easiest ways to get someone to try you is to just prepare it for them and give it to them. And they expect to receive that information Every time you go into Costco, right? You expect to get a whole bunch of free samples, even if it's stuff you already know you're not going to get. Another big one, which people probably don't think about it is like retail. You know, I want to try on something. Right. Okay. Product. Okay. So let, let me tee you, tee you up with another question. Cool. Okay. So you, you've given us a couple examples sort of in the B2C world. What about in the, in the B2B world, other than SaaS? What, what might be an example of, you know, a product or service that would lend itself well to the PLG model? Oh, man, great question. So in the B2B space, you know, I'm trying to think of, actually, I'll be honest with you, that one kind of caught me off guard a little bit. But I'm thinking about what B2B work needs to get done. For example, professional services, I did want to lean back on that a little bit. So I'm thinking about whether you're a, a fractional CMO, for example, or you're a management consultant out there, or a venture capitalist, for that matter. Say you need to present your offering to the world and attract new users, new customers to what you have to offer, then 
in your excluding the software space, right? Yeah. So let's exclude the canvas and the zooms of the world. Really the manner in which you can rely on a PLG motion is going to be focusing in on where people are researching for alternatives. And then of course they're going to find your website, but then giving them the ability to purchase something, right? It's going to be largely a digital product at that particular level, unless we're really, you're really like a physical good that a, a B2B or a business might need to operate. This is kind of blurring the line though, because we're talking about, again, physical things that you might need for say an office space or a cleaning service for that matter. It's fully possible and they exist in the different business to business realms of, you know, will the first one's free, so, so to speak, certainly in the service, like custodial services, for example, you might be able to bring someone in for a free estimate, that kind of deal while they're there. You know, they may offer a heavily discounted first price, that kind of deal. I'll be abundantly or perfectly transparent with you on this. The, the B2B purchase world, if it's not like a raw good or an input physical good in your value chain, typically you're targeting almost exclusively the, the software services or yeah. marketing services, sales services, finance services, that kind of thing. Right. Okay. And. In any case, a lot of SaaS companies out there, and I know a lot of our listeners work at SaaS companies. So, you know, that that's a, a, a perfectly interesting space to talk about. And so I want to talk about your book a little bit mm -hmm. and kind of dig into, you know, what, what's going on there. So your, your main point in the book, or one of your main points, as I understand it, is that, and now I'm, I'm quoting you here, the only viable path forward for marketers is to learn how to work with PLG. So how so? What does that mean? Yeah. So from a statistics standpoint, right? If you're in marketing, if you say you're a marketing specialist, for example, there's about 415,000 in the US. That number is growing. Over two thirds work in either technology or healthcare technology or finance technology. So we're talking about a, a broad swath of the marketing world already works in the digital space, even if it's as a digital marketer in a non-digital industry. Now that said, of, of tech companies surveyed, um, I believe these numbers are coming from OpenView. They do a really substantial PLG benchmark report every year. 62% of companies responding when surveyed claim a, a PLG component to their growth strategy. So 62% of companies out there are already interested in this, are already working towards it. Of that, 62%, 91% said they plan to increase their PLG investment. And of that 62%, just less than half, maybe like 48%, something like that, said they're going to double their PLG investment. So the takeaway from all these data points, for me, were I in a, a job-seeking scenario or a career upward trajectory, I'm going to be thinking about how if I want to be relevant to at least half of the companies that are available to me to work in, in the job market, two, three, five years from now, then today would be the day to at least add some PLG content to my professional growth folder. I would mm. say there's two very good reasons for that. One, there's a high likelihood you're going to walk into a company that's at least attempting or has attempted or is looking to attempt a PLG motion, and they're going to want people who are energetic and knowledgeable to lead that. And then the other thing is to just simply have it in your, in your stores so that you're confident when you encounter products that have no business being in a PLG model. And mm. you can speak to that and say, you know, PLG isn't going to work for us because we 
maybe it's a startup and you don't have product market fit yet. Yeah. Maybe there's only a couple hundred thousand potential users in the entire world for this. Maybe it's a top down thing. Maybe it's got a one time or once a month value experience, like a, you know, your books are, are all added up if it's accounting or something like that. And, you know, maybe there's no self-service component to it just based on its own definition or creation of that product. And as a marketer, though, you have the ability to answer that from a place of experience, if not expertise, if you start now. So you can go into those conversations talking about what you know as it relates to the company's future goals. That's going to help you become a leader within that organization, certainly. It also lets an organization know that you've likely given this a shot. So if you practice these PLG learning activities at your own company, you're going to be interfacing with product, which is where marketing should be. You're going to be interfacing with sales, which is where marketing should be. You're going to be interfacing with leadership, admin, customer success, et cetera, et cetera. And this is really you know, about empathizing with your future self <laughs> to give yourself a mm. fighting chance as the other 48% of companies attempt a PLG motion and whether or not you're going to be essentially useful in that job hunt. Okay. So, okay. So, so just to kind of recap a little bit, it sounds to me like even if you're, you're not at a company currently, like you're a marketer at a company where you're not doing PLG or it just doesn't lend itself, there are kind of two reasons to at least learn about what PLG is and maybe even practice, like practice some of its tenants mm -hmm. that A, you might at some point end up working for a company like a SaaS company that, and, and, that's, and they're doing PLG or they want to and you can position yourself to do that. Or as you just said, you at your own company, you might have your boss being like, PLG, that's the new thing. Let's do that. And you need to know enough to be able to say, actually, no, and here's why. Percent uh -huh. on all of those items. And even if, again, looking back to sort of the six legs of PLG, just working through what it would take to consider bringing PLG to your current organization puts you in a position to go talk to you know engineers, product engineers, even if it's a physical good. Being able to speak to them about, hey, I, I learned this user story from the market by talking to an actual customer. Here's what a user acceptance test would look like to know if that feature has been implemented correctly. Mm -hmm. Is this on our product roadmap? Okay, it's not. Well, I've heard it half a dozen times, a dozen times now. We should maybe consider it. Or, again, being able to say, I'm not hearing that in the market. We shouldn't build that feature. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. There's an argument between who should lead product-led growth initiatives, I fall firmly in the camp of marketing should lead a product-led growth initiative because that's where the data flows from. But all too often you work, you find companies have engineers running it and the product just turns into this feature factory where, oh, mm -hmm. wouldn't it be cool to build this? And they go and build it without ever asking, does anybody want this? Can we charge for this? Could, you know, is this the best way to spend resources? Yeah. And, yeah. So now that's interesting because seems like even if you're, you know, your product or service doesn't lend itself all the way to PLG, th th there are still important elements of it. Like every product and service has features, right? Mm -hmm. And how do you know which features to include, which are extraneous, you know, which are, aren't necessary? I mean, still that basic practice of listening to the market, talking to customers, and then helping the product developers, the engineers, and so on. Mm -hmm. understand that. I mean, every marketer should be doing that no matter what your product or service is. So am I in the right track? I mean, it sounds like that's universal. 
it is it sounds universal and it, it's it's sort of like i mean forehead slappingly obvious to to us as we talk about it now i think a lot of marketers of all stripes and of all different you know niche marketing we've been really pulled into this world of algorithm and data mm. and we've forgotten the elements of what we solve problems for people our products exist to make the lives of people easier you know a piece of content doesn't exist to attract website visits and click-through rates you know an ad isn't there strictly to bring people to a landing page like there's a greater purpose at the end of that road which happens far after somebody ever makes well after someone makes their first purchase from your company that's yeah for sure. so i want to look at another something else you say in the book the subtitle of the book is become a company leader through credibility and empathy as i mentioned mm. before so what does that mean? What do credibility and empathy have to do with product with with product led growth? And like, what what role do marketers play in in being empathetic or you know in implementing that? Yeah, it's sort of hindsight, right? It's already been printed a bunch of times. But you look at a title like that, and I started thinking that might actually be exactly backwards. You need to demonstrate empathy in order to build credibility, so that you've earned the right to market. Mm a product-led growth type thing. And specifically, I would say that marketing is empathy. Like good marketing is well, you've envisioned the needs of others. Now that doesn't mean you sat in a room and you thought it up all on your own, but what it does mean is you've gotten outside of the four walls you're in. You've gotten information that exists between the ears of some people because they didn't have time to write it down or post it in a blog on the internet or something like that. And you've learned all about the needs the professional pain points, the challenges, the personal and time you know, constraints that someone might be suffering, whoever it is in your audience that, or your user base or your customer base that absolutely needs something. And in order for you to create content for them when they're in their research phase, you have to have known about that ahead of time. You have to have spent a lot of time and energy to write it, edit it, publish it, make it available for the desperate soul who's seeking a solution. And if you are repeatedly and reliably a source of pain alleviation or gain creation, this is, by the way, this is internal to your company bosses, as well as your external, mm. your, your customers. If you're the person or the team that continues to deliver that in a repeatable and reliable way, you now have credibility, right? You're setting expectations with your marketing for your product. When the product delivers or exceeds those expectations, you have instant credibility. And the reason marketing and not only has a role, but the leadership role in all of the elements of a PLG motion is that we already have the skill sets to be part of conversations where we are with a positive sentiment about our brand when we're not even in the room, right? PLG is product-led, not sales-led, which means people are thinking about, talking about, making decisions about our brand and our products without us ever being in the room to correct them or to clarify anything. And if there's ever been a role at a company whose sole job was to communicate at a distance once or twice removed from the medium that the conversation is taking place in, it's marketing. That's, that's what we do. And you also say in the book, and again, I'm quoting you here directly, when you market for product-led growth, your value doesn't end with marketing qualified leads. It extends long after the customer is onboarded. So unpack that for us. Yeah. Now... And we're going to fall back into the SaaS description here, right? Mm -hmm. So marketing's 
tradi not traditionally, but marketing's recent goals, so the last few years have been kind of cut off at the marketing qualified lead. Somebody's ready for a sales rep to talk to them. The way that human beings like to buy products now, right? We didn't invent PLG because it was convenient. In fact, it's very difficult to do. We did it because the market demanded we do it. You've got a marketing stage, then you've got an acquisition stage, and then you've got a user stage. And the longest component, the longest element of a, a, uh, a person or a customer's lifespan with your company happens after they've made the purchase. But again, at every stage, certainly in a software as a service product, communication between you or the company and the user has to take place. And marketing has the unique skill set to inform the cadence of those conversations. When is the right time in, say, the free trial period to request if they'd like to upgrade to paying? You know, that's marketing right there. How much should they be paying for it? That's price. That's marketing again. Areas of the world that have been traditionally handed over to a customer success team simply because the old model of customer success was they're a customer now. If they have a complaint or a question, they need to reach out to somebody. Well, is marketing, shouldn't marketing be there to ensure that the brand voice is consistent throughout that entire lifespan or life cycle with the customer? And then the last component really of the PLG motion is again, that virality, which is ultimately just sort of creating moments and opportunities for your current users to invite the people they know into their our little world that they're loving the experience within you know, canva for example you know you that's all output share it's designed for marketers who don't know graphic design which means every time somebody produces a beautiful design for their company for whatever reason they have an opportunity to say oh, yeah, i use that and canva helped me make that and that brings somebody into the product other tools like Slack, you just have to invite teammates to join in order to make it useful. Mm. So there's, you know, the sale will happen for a customer within probably the first two to 5% of their overall days using your company. And it's important for marketing to be there learning about what people love in the product and what they don't love in the product so that they can, again, continue this conversation on what needs fixing and why to the different teams across the organization. Well, Steve, th this is a really interesting conversation. In, in some ways, I feel like we're, we're only scratching the surface, but we'll, we might have to bring you back on the, on the show to explore some of the stuff a little deeper. But in the meanwhile, what's the best way for people to connect with you? Sure. So the best way to connect with me is probably going to be on LinkedIn, honestly. So Steve Lachance, I'm the only one that looks like me. You're very welcome to, to connect with me on there. You can also head to my website, discerner.com. If you're listening to this podcast, you know, we can put a promo code there so you can have your first hour conversation with me. It's usually 250 bucks, but it'll be free. And we can actually talk about your unique use case, whether or not this is a good idea for you. Um, and yeah, I'd love an opportunity to just chat further with you and with any of your listeners. Excellent. Well, Steve, thank you so much. We'll put your contact information in the show notes. And yeah, meanwhile, thanks for a great conversation. I learned a lot. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the B2B Content Show. You can subscribe anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And while you're at it, you might as well give the show five stars and leave an over-the-top comment about how much you love the podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or you know someone who you think would be a great guest, let us know. You can contact me at jeremy at conversa.com. That's C-O-N-N-versa.com. The B2B Content Show is brought to you by Conversa Podcasting. Check us out at conversa.com 
To learn more about how we help B2B brands start podcasts, to connect through conversation with the buyers and decision makers you need to get to know to grow your business. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.